Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to the left. Waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one-two pitch. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, March the 4th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Stop the presses. It's over. There's no reason to play the season. There's no reason to uh, continue spring training, at least for the National League East teams, because Bryce Harper has signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. So as you know, as is the media, that's that's it. That's the game changer. And right away, it's going to be really important for Brody Van Wagenen and uh, all the members of the Mets front office to work really hard and figure out how they're going to answer this move here on uh, March 4th. Of course, I'm kidding. I hope everybody... Had a good weekend coming to you here on this Monday, and uh, if you're wondering, uh, I know that the podcasts have been coming sometimes on a Monday. It really has to do with uh, getting guests, kind of looking at the news and trying to get you the best content as possible, but just rest assured, uh, Sunday, Monday is kind of when these things are going to come out. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Joining me in just a few minutes, or uh, he actually joined me, I recorded it. Late on Sunday, it was uh, Scott Lauber of uh, Philly.com, Philly's beat reporter, a uh, longtime beat reporter in Philadelphia, also spent some time in Boston. It's been a long time since I talked to Scott. The last time I talked to Scott was back in the heyday of the Mets-Phillies rivalry back in you know, like 07, 08. He used to come on uh, on those old NYBD podcasts. So uh, he'll be joining uh, me in just a bit. He'll have a chance to actually hear that segment that I recorded um over the weekend, so we'll listen to Scott. And he's, listen, we're going to get a feel of the Philadelphia point of view here. Uh, very excited, obviously, the Philadelphia fan base. Uh, the media down there pumped. Uh, a lot of talk about the Phillies being the prohibitive favorite now in the National League East and uh, possibly Bryce Harper. And the coup that is uh, John Middleton flying his jet out to Vegas to sign Harper to the richest deal ever. Uh, maybe the, uh, the the reason why uh, the Phillies will win it all. And I, I just find it absurd in this day and age of, especially in baseball, that one player would be, although it's a solid signing, because when you really start to look at it and you break down the dollars, $27 million is really what he'll mainly be getting paid each year. Uh, you can't argue with bringing in a hitter like Harper. Where, I guess, this eludes me, is the years and the no-trade clause. Because it, this is truly a marriage. This is a marriage with no ability to get out of it. There's no divorce. Uh, there's no way these two guys will ever be able to live without each other. And I'm sorry, 13 years and a commitment like that to an athlete scares the, the living hell out of me if I were the Phillies. There's no way if I were the Mets that I'd get involved in something like that. It sounded like Harper was only interested in having the largest contract. He wanted a palatable AAV. I mean, that's something that is important, especially for the union. But most importantly, he wanted to be in one place. And I don't blame him. Stability is important for everybody. 
And uh, he wanted the most dollars, and he got that. And and from day one, I've never really been a Bryce Harper fan, so I'll, I'll throw it out there to everybody off the bat. Uh, I never like, and, and this is probably not Harper's fault, I've never liked players being bestowed or given things by the media before they've earned it. Uh, it started with the Sports Illustrated article, what was he, 16 or 17 years old, you know, the next greatest thing, Mickey Mantle, he's going to play for the Yankees. I mean, all the things that get thrown out there by the media that never come true because they don't know and they're just creating their own narrative, their own story, lazy narratives mainly. And he just was a bothersome guy uh, for the Nats. You know, he's got that kind of look and, and he's he's a guy that hustles. So it's not like he's a loafer or he's, a, you know, he's an outward jerk. He's just... He's one of those players when he's on the opposition you just don't like. And I don't know Bryce Harper, and I haven't interviewed him, and, and he may be the greatest guy in the world. What I do know is what I've seen of him as a player and what the numbers are. And a couple of reasons why, despite this being a signing where I think it hurts the Nationals more than it hurts the Mets because the Nationals are the team that loses the bat that goes over to Philadelphia the Mets built their team and, and have been building their team with Bryce Harper being on the competition, whether it be Washington or, or another team. Uh, and I don't think the, the, the Phillies are any better than what the Nats would have been if Harper went back there. And, and they may not be as good as the Nats would be because they're, I don't think their pitching is as good. But all I know is this, is that I, I and, and there was an article, and I don't know if it was in a Joel Sherman article or a Bill Madden article, but it was an article over the weekend, which dived into why the Yankees did not get into the Harper sweepstakes. And it was simple. They viewed his defense as below average, and they saw a player that was streaky. And too many times it was a lot of Ks, a lot of lazy ground balls to the shift. And they decided that they didn't want to spend big money on a player that profiled like that. And the money that he got and the marriage that has been brought together is based on a player that is going to give you more towards 2015 when he hit 42 home runs, had uh, an OPS plus of 198, which is, by the way, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds territory. A guy who walked 124 times, almost walked as much as he struck out. He struck out 131 times that year. Hit for average at 330. Got on base at a 46% rate, 460. Slugged over 600. I mean, these are huge numbers. And he had a big year in 2015. And by the way, that same year, the Nats did not make the playoffs. They finished second and actually collapsed uh, to the Mets down the stretch. A Mets team that probably should have been put away. And I've always said that if the Nats didn't get off to such a sluggish start and fool around with that division, there's probably no Cespedes, there's probably no pennant race, and the Mets probably don't make the playoffs. And maybe history is a little bit different. Now, not all of that is Bryce Harper's fault, but my point is, is that we're all getting crazy and paranoid over a player that really never made the difference for the Nationals. And most years he was an all-star and very good. But the version of Bryce Harper that just got $330 million, the one that you've seen more of throughout his seven-year career, and yes, he's 25 going on 26, so he's got a lot of time to get better. I mean, to put it in, in context... Guys like Dom Smith and Pete Alonzo, who we'll talk about in a minute, they're like just starting out, and they're around the age that, or maybe a little bit younger, that Harper is. So it shows you how good he's been. I mean, he's a talented guy. But the kind of performance that you're getting, you can get out of Michael Conforto for a lot less. And I think Conforto can give you what last year's version of Harper was, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. Uh, maybe not the walks. Uh, part of that, I think, is the fear of pitching to him. Uh, I think the reputation and the strike zone that you get established by the umpires helps out a lot. So, to me, what what Harper probably will give you is a very good bat in the middle of the order. I don't think he's going to be Bonds. I don't think he's going to be that Babe Ruth guy that you saw in 2015. Uh, if Listen, if he doesn't hit 40 home runs consistently especially playing in Citizens Bank Park, a small park that, uh, you know, during the summer months when the ball's flying should yield a lot of those cheapy home runs. It's one of the better ballparks if you're a hitter to play in. Then, you know, I give up there. But this, but I've seen this situation, and I've said this a lot. Harper's a guy you could get out 
in a big spot in a game, especially with a lefty. And the Mets are going to have a couple of those lefties. They're going to pro- they're going to have Justin Wilson, and they very well will have Luis Avion as the second lefty. So the division's not over, and the Mets are are in a dogfight, and they were going to be in a dogfight whether Harper was in L.A., whether Harper was going to be in San Francisco, because the Phillies still were a team that had some interesting pieces and a good one-two punch in the rotation and an improved closer. Uh, I think the Braves have taken a step back. I think the Nats have some interesting pieces. I think it's going to be close. I think, if anything, this has hurt the Braves and the Nats more than the Mets because I thought those teams, uh, the Mets actually uh, uh, were ahead of already in that situation. And it probably puts the Phillies right there with the Mets, maybe a little bit better. I think all these teams are pretty close together. I think the only team I need to see a little bit more, or I'd be very surprised if they uh, lived up to last year, are the Braves. I think they played over their head last year. I think the young pitchers are already showing a little wear and tear early. Uh, I think some of those uh, offensive players like Nick Markakis played over their head. Uh, Ozzy Albies, guys like that. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, I mean, by no means do I think Mets fans should all of a sudden gnash their teeth and get upset and, and say, ah, the Mets blew an opportunity here. It wasn't going to happen. That's not the kind of contract the Mets want to get involved in. It would have been a clumsy fit right now with the Mets. Uh, you know, you don't turn down an offensive player like that. You make it work, but not for that kind of money, not for that kind of year. Uh, seven years is a long time. Ten years is an, is an eternity. Thirteen and, and even what was talked about, 15 years, that's like, uh, you know, infinity in the world of sports. So, I mean, think about where you were 13 years ago. And now think about today, and that's the contract. So a lot could happen. Uh, I don't want to just spend too much time on Harper. We'll, we'll move on here. So a number of things going on in Mets camp. Uh, you know, the, the big story really over the last few days has been uh, Dom Smith and Peter Alonzo. So this first base competition is heating up a little bit. Both players are hitting about 500, hitting home runs. All of a sudden, Dom Smith uh, has a little bit of competition and has gotten forgotten about and he's hitting. I don't think Dom Smith, unless there's something really significant that happens with Pete Alonso, and it could go down to the finances, and I, and I don't think the Mets should go that route over the finances. I think they really need to, and maybe Dom Smith earns it, but still, the reason why I'd go with, with Pete Alonso, even if all things were even, unless Dom Smith just hits the continues to the tar out of the ball, and Pete Alonso just regresses, and, and as the the real, the real major leaguers that he'll start seeing consistently as spring goes on, get him out and show some openings in his swing or some weaknesses in his game, then maybe you look at it and say, okay, let's, let's go with the, uh, the, the guy who's a little bit more advanced along in terms of big league service time in Smith. The reason why I go with Alonzo is because he's righty. And I continue to look at the Mets lineup and all the big hitters that can produce pop with the exception of Wilson Ramos, Nimmo, Lowry. I know Lowry's a switch hitter, but he could also, he's hitting lefty. Cano, Conforto. There's a lot of lefty bopping in that lineup, and they really could use another righty to break that up. And I think Ramos is a good hitter, but he's not going to play every day. He's going to get days off. He's a catcher. Rosario's a, you know, an eight hitter. Uh, Lagaris, I mean, Keon Bronxton is a guy that, okay, he got, has some pop, but similar to Todd Frazier, those are guys that you want to put at the bottom of the order. You need somebody that eventually could be in that five hole or six hole. And I'm not saying start him day one, Alonzo, but my vision, if he's for real, if he's a guy that could pop 30 home runs, hit 250 to 270, drive in 90 to 100 runs, uh, play adequate defense at first, that's the guy that I think you could put in the five hole. He'll break up the lineup with the lefties. It'll be a guy that corrects some games with home runs. That's why I like Alonzo. Smith, superior defensively. My concern is, again, I've seen a lot of Dom Smith at the big league level. Nothing impressive. He's a guy who's had work ethic issues for a number of years. Here's Alonzo right away getting an opportunity, working his tail off, Arizona Fall League. A lot of stories about how hard he's been working in spring training to improve his defense. These are things that Dom Smith should have been doing years ago. And I'm not trying to take away from, seems like he continues to lose weight, keep himself in shape, 
He's he's working to try to make the most out of whatever opportunities he has left with the Mets. And uh, and I'm looking at roster resource right now, and it appears he he's only going to be able to be sent down, I think, one more time. Yeah, well, actually, no, he's got two options. So uh, he's got a couple more options. That that helps. That, that's another thing because those options allow them to hold on to Dominic Smith. So I I don't really think it matters if Frazier or Lowry are out, especially if Frazier's out, then I think he may make the club. But then there's J.D. Davis in this whole thing. And, and the real thing about Dom Smith and Alonzo, I don't think both can make the team because you need versatility. And J.D. Davis gives you that. He could play third. Uh, they may need that. He could play the outfield. There's also Dini Echeverria. Uh, Echeverria, I still think, is, is going to be necessary because you need a professional shortstop to back up Rosario or somebody that you could bring in for defense because I've never been in love with Rosario's defense. So the point is I don't think both make it. Uh, I don't think you go with another lefty in Dom Smith. It's a shame you can't go into that chemistry lab and find a way to get Alonzo's bat with the Smith's defense. Maybe eventually it's a platoon situation, but I don't even see that early on. It's a young player, Alonzo. They have to uh, you know, see that he can't hack it every day. Uh, so all this talk, all this thing being, con- you know, Concocted, concocted up by the media. At the at the end, I think Alonzo will get the nod if he continues to hit. He hit another home run today. I think Dom Smith is destined for AAA. And most mostly, if I'm the Mets, I leverage Dom Smith and any kind of success he has and try to flip him for something of value. Because a guy like that, I think, is always going to be a tease. Once you show, especially early in your career, work ethic issues... I don't trust that a guy like that could turn it around. I've been just impressed with everything I've been reading about Alonzo. And Smith, although he's had a couple of good minor league seasons, has never had the kind of season that Alonzo had last year offensively. And that's what the Mets need. The Mets need that kind of bat. And I know the defense is not great, and I'm always the first to say defense is important. But in this scenario, uh, as long as he can get to be adequate at first, scoops in the dirt, make all the plays you're supposed to make, uh, you got to go with Pete Alonzo and, and Dom Smith, spend some time out in Syracuse, uh, and maybe they trade him and get something of value as well. Who who knows? Now, the other big thing going on in Mets camp is the catching position, and that's going to be interesting. And I think what plays into that and why I personally am leaning towards keeping both Darno and Mezzarocco, because I think Mezzarocco doesn't make it where they could send him down, and, and I don't think is going to want to go play in AAA because with catchers, at the very least, Mezzarocco could be a backup somewhere. Uh, he may not be a starter. He could be a starter on a bad team. I know there's talk with Kansas City losing Salvador Perez. They're going to be in the market for a catcher. So I would hold on to these guys. You know, Thomas Nito, he, he could be your uh, minor league option. So many times over the last few years, you've seen the Mets run out with the uh, Jose Lobatons, I wasn't totally against Rene Rivera. He was all right. But then you had Anthony Rucker and, and Ploiecki never really uh, showed much. Maybe flashes here and there. So when you with the dearth of catchers, when you have guys who I think are professional catchers, even Darno and Mazzarocco seems to have done some nice things with DeGrom, so that always helps. Why not keep moving with that? And the way you get that done is you're going to have to not carry eight relievers. Now, you may be exposing Kyle Dowdy, the Rule 5 pick, back to the Indians. And and he's, you know, he had a rough outing the other day, but he's he's shown some flashes. But this bullpen with Diaz, Familia, Lugo, Justin Wilson, Gazelman, and then uh, Avion as the uh, as the lefty, or the situational lefty, I don't think, especially with guys like Gazelman and Lugo who are able to go multiple innings, you need to go eight deep. You don't have to do situational. Wilson's not a guy that's situational. Familiar in theory, I know he's been not as good against lefties as he was in the past in recent years. He's not a guy that he he's, he's he could cross over. You don't have to be situational. Same with Gazelman and Lugo. Uh, Avion's a lefty specialist, so that's a different story. So you, you have one more roster spot, and with that, you could go with the third catcher. Now, the other question is, the Mets just signed Carlos Gomez to a minor league deal. Why is that? Is that depth? Is he targeted? or ticketed for uh, for AAA, for Syracuse? Uh, do they see something in Keon Broxton they don't like, that they may say, hey, 
you know, we better uh, we better have that that backup. Are they looking at Trey Lagaris? That's interesting because Gomez, uh, in a lot of ways, is a lot like Lagaris, older, but offensively, pretty much the same player. Defensively, I think Lagaris is a little bit better, but in his heyday, Gomez was pretty good. So that was an interesting move. I wonder if that plays into anything like that. I don't think you could carry both Lagaris. Uh, Gomez and Broxton all together. I don't think that makes sense. I think it'd be more about having the extra catcher. I think it comes down to the extra catcher or the extra um, uh, reliever. Uh, J.D. Davis, I think, makes the team if Frazier and or uh, Lowry can't start this season, especially if Frazier can't start the season. And I think that's a very strong possibility. Even more so important, I think J.D. Davis may make it if Pete Alonso gets sent down because the versatility, I go back. I just don't see a scenario where Dom Smith makes this club, even with all the uh, the offensive improvements he's shown here early in the spring. Long spring, and even for Alonso, I'll say this: you got to really understand that once the bell rings, a lot of the pitchers they're seeing right now in the atmosphere they're playing in, it all amps up, it all changes, and it gets a lot hotter. So don't uh, don't get too gaga over spring training results just yet. All right, let's take a break. When we return, Scott Lauber, Philly.com, Philly's Beat Reporter, Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, Philadelphia Daily News. You're going to hear his uh, interview with me. I had a chance to catch up with him over the weekend. Let's go down to Clearwater, Florida. Let's hear what the competition is all about. Let's hear what the Philadelphians believe about the National League East, their team, and all the excitement that's surrounding them right now with the signing of Bryce Harper. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Harper, Philadelphia, 13 and 330. Robin, is this going to work out? I hate this deal for both sides. I hate it for both sides because it doesn't seem like what they were trying to get to. It seemed like Harper's camp trying to set some contractual benchmark so that they could say, we have the the biggest contract in American sports history rather than the the best one for the the team or, you know, the, the client in this case, Bryce Harper. You know, when you're looking at the Phillies, Bryce Harper has had relatively down years in two of the last four years. How's that going to play over 13? And when you're looking at Bryce Harper's perspective, who knows what they're going to want to do in 13 years from now? You know, he he didn't have any opt-outs in this. Heck, who knows if any of us will be here 13 (laughs) years from now? So the the idea of committing yourself for that length of time simply seems to me like it's only about the contract and not about everything else when it comes to being a player or a person. Yeah, the 13 is insane, but the 13 was a way to get the annual average value down. And when it comes to the value... It's a decent contract, $25 million in this day and age in Major League Baseball for what a guy who's supposed to be a star is a pretty good deal. Here's my argument. He is not a superstar. When you look at his numbers, outside of 2015, which was his MVP season, he has been pedestrian. Look at where he ranks in all the major stat categories the last three seasons. Look at last year. I mean, his best was slugging. That was 30th, home run 16th. 186th in war, that's a three straight years. Now, 2017, those rankings where he would have ranked, he only played in 111 games, didn't get 500 at-bats. Even those that aren't that great. So 15 was the year, but 15 was a long time ago. For 13 years, you have to show some consistency. What's he going to be? Once every other year for six years and then fall off the map? We're back, and uh, joining us from uh, Philly.com, Philly Inquirer, Philly Daily News, Scott Lauber, at Scott Lauber on Twitter. And uh, the big news, uh, even though it's uh, now spring, the big hot stove news down in Clearwater, Florida, Bryce Harper to the Phillies, and Scott's joining us now. Scott, crazy week, huh? You didn't expect to be uh, covering these sleepy spring training games and have this kind of energy down in – in Florida at this point of the uh, spring training schedule. Yeah. Um, you know, it feels like the, uh, the off season now goes later and later. Um, you know, I mean, last year it was, uh, guys like JD Martinez who didn't sign until, uh, until late February and Jake Arrieta who didn't sign until the second week of March. And this year it's Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. And, you know, I don't know. The Phillies were, were so connected to both of those players all throughout the winter that, uh, 
you know, I, I felt all along like they were going to get one of them. I just didn't really feel like the owner, John Middleton, was going to be denied one of the one of the two big stars. And sure enough, you know, it's it on a 13-year, $330 million deal, and, and off we go. So, you know, I guess I kind of figured when spring training started and I came down here to Florida that uh, we would have uh, at least one big press conference uh, in Philly's camp. And that, of course, came on uh, on Saturday when, when Harper... Uh, arrived and uh, was introduced. One of the things that uh, comes with playing in Philly is expectations. And, uh, you know, there's a feeling around baseball. And, and look, he's, he signed with the Phillies, so it doesn't matter that Harper wanted to go to California. You know, he made it clear he wanted security. He, wanted, he did not want to, uh, to be traded. He wanted a no-trade clause. Uh, the Phillies gave him all of that. It may not be the place where he wanted to be. Now he's here. Uh, just like in New York where outsiders come in and when they get off to a rough start, the fans are brutal. Uh, this is going to be interesting how this plays out because in the, I wonder if the back of Phillies fans' minds, you know, are they is he settling? Is he settling here? Especially after that goofy DC comment, which I know was a mistake, but, you know, everybody's looking for something right now. Yeah, I don't uh, – I'm not somebody who uh, ever believed – throughout this whole process that he disliked Philadelphia or uh, didn't want to come to Philadelphia. I think there's a difference between not wanting to go somewhere and preferring to go somewhere else. And, you know, he's from Las Vegas. He's a West coast guy. Uh, Los Angeles is a very short flight for, for him to get home. Um, you know, uh, San Francisco is, is not a, not a long flight for him to get back to Vegas. And so, you know, sure, if he had his preference, would he want to stay in California? I think so. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't think Philly was a place that he, he'd come to now. You know, this will be his, what, seventh season in the big leagues, and he's come to Philly uh, three times a year for three series a year. I don't think that uh, it was a place he didn't like or didn't want to go. So I think that, you know, I never really bought the, the whole notion that, um, you know, he was sort of, he was sort of going to a place he didn't want to be and simply going there because they made the best offer. Um, and and I, I don't know that I, – I don't think that Phillies fans feel like he settled. I think that uh, they'll embrace him as long as he plays well, and I think that's true of Boston or New York, um, you know, the, the three big northeast cities where, where sports are uh, are – uh, so uh, where fans are so passionate about their sports, I've had the good fortune of working in both Philadelphia and in Boston covering baseball in both cities. And there are so many similarities. And I think, you know, there's no question that expectations in Philadelphia this year are going to be higher than they've been at any point, probably since 2011. Uh, that's a long time ago now. Uh, it's been a team that's gone through a long rebuild and they've been out of the playoffs since 2011, haven't had a winning season since then. So, of course, expectations are going to be sky high, but I think they're also ready to embrace this guy as uh, their new superstar, the new face of their franchise, and I think they're thrilled to have him. Just look at the fact that they've sold, what, something like 220,000 tickets in the last, you know, three and a half or two and a half days uh, since the signing was announced on Thursday afternoon, um, and the fact that jerseys are flying off the shelves, I think people want to embrace the guy. I think they want to be uh, huge fans of the guy, and, and they're hoping that he'll perform up to their expectations. And I'm sure if he doesn't, they'll let him know about it. But, uh, but that just kind of comes with the territory of playing in the Northeast. Scott Lauber, join us, uh, Philly.com, Philly Inquirer, Philly Daily News, talking about Bryce Harper getting a feel of uh, one of the competitors here in the National League East. You're right. There's a ton of excitement, and probably the most excited the Phillies fans have been since what I like to call the golden age of Philadelphia baseball, which is that 07 to 11 period. What Bryce Harper does he have to be to fulfill expectations? You know, everybody knows 2015. He was Barry Bonds. He was incredible. He's been very good, and and I think that was the debate all along. I think the Yankees, in a lot of ways, uh, there was some reports after he signed with the Phillies. They looked at him as not a great defensive player, a guy, and, and he's not alone. He's a streaky hitter. Uh, they saw a lot of those four threes into the shift and the strikeouts being more than the hits. And I guess they questioned, do you want to commit, I mean, 13 years? I mean, think about your life the last 13 years, how much changes, Scott. This is a long time. This is, this is an eternity in, in sports. And uh, what, what kind of version of Bryce Harper, Harper does he have to be uh, to justify being, uh, I guess, the face of the franchise. 
Yeah, it's funny you talk about 13 years. I saw, you know, somebody said 13 years ago Bryce Harper was 13, which tells you, you know, how long ago, how long 13 years is. I have a, a son who's two and a half, and by the time Bryce Harper's contract runs out with the Phillies, my son will be in driver's ed. So, I mean, it's kind of – it is. It's an enormously long amount of time, uh, um, and and uh, it's, it's a huge commitment, obviously, both in finances and in – just in, in terms of the time that uh, that the player will be spending with you. So, you know, there's no there's no uh, doubting that. There's no way around that. And, and I think, you know, like, like we were talking about for the Phillies themselves, expectations for Harper are going to be pretty high. Um, you know, I, the Phillies had a choice to make when the offseason began. Um, you know, do you, do you go after Bryce Harper or do you go after Manny Machado? And, uh, my sense all along was that there were people in their baseball operations and their analytics departments who believed that Machado was the better all-around player. You factor in the defense. You know, he's an elite third baseman. He's a very good shortstop. Um, you know, you factor in the defense with the offense, and he was the better all-around player. And, you know, I, I, I certainly felt like that there were some people in the organization who felt that way. Um, and, you know, then, of course, you know, there were the Harper uh, people who felt like, as you know, as a pure offensive player goes, he was the better uh, pick and, and maybe as a left-handed hitter, the better choice for a lineup that leans heavily to the right. Um, but, you know, the Phillies ultimately decided that Harper was the guy that they were going to make their, their big move on. And, and, you know, so they're going to, you know, the expectation is that he's going to anchor this offense, that he's going to be an offensive force in the middle of the offense, in the middle of the lineup for, you know, the foreseeable future. And I, I don't know, you know, I, they've talked a lot within the organization and also you've heard a lot of external chatter as well about, you know, Harper's numbers in that ballpark and, and what they could be like. And certainly that's part of the calculus here too. A left-handed hitter uh, in Citizens Bank Park with that kind of power, you know, does, you know are, is 40 home runs realistic? You know, is that, is that, is that too much to ask? So, you know, uh, certainly expectations are going to be super high for the guy, and it's going to be uh, a high bar for him to clear. Um, but, you know, I think that that's sort of something that you take on when you sign a contract like this. And, and expectations are no are no uh, are nothing new for Harper. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 15 years old. So, you know, he's been uh, – and I believe the headline was the chosen one. So, I mean, he's been somebody who – has dealt with expectations his whole entire career, and I'm sure that you know if there's anyone who can adjust to this now, it's it's a guy like that. You know, you, you mentioned analytics departments and Manny Machado, and and here in New York, the the fans they wanted the Yankees, and a lot of people thought it was a fait accompli that he just signed with the Yankees. You know, as this thing dragged on, Mets fans were 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 pleading with that, their organization maybe to you know jump in and, and bring Harper on. It didn't happen. This. This, though, was a John Middleton, and, and John Middleton's been an owner of the Phillies, a minority owner for a while. He's taken on a bigger role the last few years. And uh, you wrote over at Philly.com that this was his Steinbrenner moment, and it really was. I mean, the the, the private airplane, going out there, uh, meeting with him in Vegas a couple of times. Boris loves going top to top. He does that with, with the Nationals all the time. So it's quite possible that, you know, at the end of the day, it was not the GM – Matt Klintek or the front office, it was John Middleton wanted this guy. And uh, do you feel that, um, you know, that, that that all along was this was an owner thing? It wasn't necessarily, like you said, a front office thing. And, and what does this mean now? Is John Middleton going all in? Can we see Craig Kimbrell next? Is is he ready to blow the ceiling up on this payroll? What's, what's going on there? Uh, I would argue that the best GMs, uh, in the game are very good at doing their owner's bidding. And so, you know, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I covered the Red Sox for a while, and Dave Dombrowski is a good example. He's been in the game a really long time, and he's obviously a very shrewd baseball guy and great judge of talent, and, and he's built some great teams. But he's also done what his owner has wanted uh, at most of the stops that he's been in. So, in Miami, uh, you know, they wanted to uh, to sell everybody off, and so he did that, and he he, uh, he assembled uh, the the team that ultimately won the World Series in '97 after he left. In Detroit, he worked for an owner in Mike Illich who wanted desperately to win a World Series. He was getting up there in years and wanted to win a World Series before he passed away, and so Dombrowski kind of had 
carte blanche to uh, to go build that team. And he spent a lot of money in Detroit. He built a team that was very, very good for many, many years. They fell uh, a bit short of that World Series goal, but they were a contender every year for a number of years during that time there. And then he goes to Boston, and John Henry wants to win, and, and, and he's built that team. You know, he's he's added to what, what, what was already there and, you know, signs David Price and makes a big trade for, for Chris Sale and, and does his owner's bidding for him. And I think that that's what you've seen with the Phillies here. John Middleton is, as you said, um, you know, was, was very driven to, uh, to sort of take this uh, rebuilding effort of the past few years and, and put an end to it and take the next step and become a contender again. And, you know, he made a comment early in the offseason about being prepared to spend stupid money, and that comment got a lot of mileage. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's been compared by people like Jimmy Rollins to, to George Steinbrenner for his intensity and focus and desire to win. And I felt, like I said, all along this offseason, like John Middleton wasn't going to be denied one of these two big star players. He had a lot of financial flexibility uh, to make it happen and, and had, had a willingness to make it happen. And, you know, I wrote about it, you know, today. I think what you saw last week was a was – you know, the day the day after Machado signed with the Padres, uh, Middleton called Scott Boris and said, "Okay, let's start talking." And Boris said, "All right, but I think it would be really helpful for you if you came out to meet with Harper one more time." Bryce Harper is somebody who spent his entire career in Washington, had a very very close relationship with the Lerner family, Ted Lerner, the patriarch of that family, uh, the only owner he's ever played for, um, and you know, I think it's important to Harper uh, that that he sit down with you and Middleton got on that plane and flew out there last Friday. And, and there you go. Um, and there were some tense moments between his trip to, to Las Vegas and then finally closing the deal. They had to get to 13 years and they had to get to a place where the average annual value was going to be high enough. But, you know, I think the owner wasn't going to be denied getting this deal done. And, and I called it his Steinbrenner moment. And I, I think that that's really what it was for, for him and, and his, um, in his ownership, his stewardship of this franchise, it was his moment to kind of go out and get his guy and not be denied, and he wasn't. Is this going to embolden him to, to go further? Do you see a Craig Kimbrell? I know that name has popped up to maybe sure up the bullpen a little bit, or are the Phillies done? The roster right now is well. The they believe it or not, so they've spent like almost half a billion dollars this off season on on all the all the moves they've made, whether it's Harper, McCutcheon, David Robertson, trading for Gene Sakura, where they took on money, uh, trading for JT Real Muto, not a lot of money there, but still is money that they, had, they, they, they added. And they're still at a point where they're far enough still under the CBT where they could go out and do Craig Kimbrell or, or Dallas Keuchel. My sense, though, is that unless either of those pitchers are willing to do a one-year deal, I think the Phillies probably take a pass um, – maintain that flexibility for the trade deadline if they need to. Uh, they've got some decisions coming up in, in future years, whether it's trying to work something out long-term with Reese Hoskins or, you know, going after one of the free agents who's on the market in a year or two. Uh, everyone in Philadelphia has already got uh, two off-seasons from now circled on their calendar. That's when Mike Trout becomes a free agent. He's a Philly area guy, a South Jersey guy, and everyone presumes at least that he would want to come home. Uh, Harper even alluded to it the other day in his press conference um, about teaming up with with Trout one day. Um, so, I mean, uh, you know, I, I think unless Keuchel or Kimberly are willing to do a one-year deal, which would come off the books in a hurry, I think that they'll probably, even though they can, uh, make a deal with one of those guys. I think they'd probably pass and uh, preserve some of that flexibility that they have for down the road. Geez, Mike Trout, if he gets a $40 million AAV and Harper at 25, that's $65, $70 million tied up in uh, two guys. Hard to see that, I guess, with the inflation and the way baseball is exploding. And then who knows? I mean, with the way that the offseason has gone, I mean, the, the owners, it could be a new collective bargaining agreement by that time or something go along those lines that if they reopen it. Um, hard to see, though. I mean, now that they've committed to Harper, that that Trout dream, I know the Phillies have money. That trout dream, they may have, they may, and, and I don't blame them. You got to go for the bird in hand, uh, but that may have uh, dashed that trout dream by signing Harper. And uh, you know, if you had a choice of the two, I think it's obvious who you'd take. 
Yeah, I really don't think it does dash it. Um, you know, I mean, I think that was part of the reason why they, they you know, they like the idea of, of going 13 years. It keeps the AAV down to $25 million a year and I think does enable them to go out and make another big move uh, in, an, in an off season or two. And, and I really, I kind of feel like that they're positioned to do that. Uh, it is difficult to see that kind of money tied up in two players, but it's happened before, um, you know, you know, where, where, you know, a team has two or three really highly paid players and, and, and they can manage it. It just depends on how far you want to go over the CBT. I mean, look at the, the Red Sox went well over the CBT last year and won a world series. So, uh, I think it can be done, and I, I think that part of the beauty of the Harper deal from the Phillies' perspective is that it allows them uh, the flexibility to, to still consider it, to still do it. So whether it's Trout, whether it's Mookie Betts, whether it's you know next off season with a guy like uh, Paul Goldschmidt or Anthony Rendon or whatever, I mean I think that they're going to be players for future free agents. Uh, uh, I don't think Bryce Harper takes them out of that. So how do you feel about this team? You know, last year the Braves won the division. The Phillies were right there for a while. But the, the advanced metrics throughout the summer indicated that maybe they were playing a little over their head. They've improved the bullpen. Uh, they may need another arm in there, but they definitely improved it. Uh, they're starting rotation. You have, a, you know, a good one-two there. Defense is better. Uh, you got some solid veterans in there like Andrew McCutcheon. JT Real Muto is, is by all accounts, going to bring those leadership skills that were being, you know, lost with a bad team in Miami to Philly. Uh, how do you feel about this team? Uh, talk a little bit about, and I know you probably haven't seen all the other NL East teams, but based on paper, based on what you've read, how do you feel about the NL East? Is, is it going to be a tight four-team race? Do you see this uh, the Phillies rising to the top with maybe one other team? Give us a little bit about the, the Phillies, how you feel, and, and how they compare to the rest of the division. I think the division, you know, if you look around, is uh... – is greatly improved. I mean, the Braves won the division last year with 90 wins, and I don't think 90 is going to get it done this year. Uh, it's not just the Phillies and the moves that they've made. It's Patrick Corbin going to sort of um, to sort of weather the blow from losing Bryce Harper. It's it's the uh, it's the Braves and bringing back a guy like Dick Markakis and and Brian McCann going back there and bringing that uh, you know the, his leadership skills there and. And some of the other, you know, Josh Donaldson, of course, uh, you know, uh, helping to improve the middle of their lineup. And, and then it's the Mets, who made some moves that were, you know, not necessarily obvious uh, at the time. But, you know, you look around and you go, well, I mean, Edwin Diaz is an absolute stud at the back of their bullpen. And Cano uh, and a guy like Jed Lowry, when he gets healthy, uh, you know, is a good hitter and a guy who can help their lineup. Uh, um Familia added to back to the back of their bullpen. Uh, so, you know, I think you look around the, the, the league and, and or the division, I should say, and you certainly see four teams that are, it wouldn't surprise you if any four, of the four won the division or, or if two of them or, you know, maybe even, you know, three of them wind up making the playoffs. If both wild cards were to come out of the East, the Central's an awfully good division uh, as well. Uh, they're, they're, that. That division to me is also up for grabs, but the East is going to be quite a bit better. And I don't, like I said, I don't think 90 wins wins the NL East this year. I think you're going to have to go quite a bit north of that. And uh, you know, I could certainly see a scenario where you get into September and you've got four teams vying for a division title, which should make things pretty exciting if it shakes out that way. As far as the Phillies go, you know, you touched on a lot of it. I mean, uh, um, they went into the offseason feeling like they had to get better in a lot of different areas, whether it was a lineup that had the fewest hits in the majors last year, a defense that was the worst by far in the majors last year. And I think that they've, that they've accomplished a lot of that. Uh, you could make an argument that they have the deepest lineup in the league, uh, in the National League, now that they've added Harper to Real Muto. To, you could have a top four you know, uh, or five in that lineup where four or five of those guys weren't there last year. So... Um, you know, the lineup is considerably better. Um, the uh, the defense uh, is going to be better. Segura is a, an upgraded shortstop. And, you know, they'll be better in the outfield with, uh, you know, with McCutcheon in left field. They're moving Reese Hoskins back to first base where he feels more comfortable. He was not a very good left fielder. Uh, Real Muto behind the plate is an enormous addition for them in so many different ways. 
so they're going to be a better team. For me, with the Phillies, though, it's going to come down to their rotation and whether they have enough starting pitching. And, you know, Aaron Nola is certainly the least of their, of their concerns. He's one of the best pitchers in the National League. Uh, but Arietta's got to be a whole lot better than he was last year. And then the three young guys at the back, Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, and Zach Eflin, they think that they're all going to take another step forward in their development, but we all know that it's not always a linear thing in baseball. Sometimes you take a step forward. Sometimes you have to take a step backward before you take that step forward. And I think if if all three of them take a step forward, the Phillies are going to be in good shape. But, you know, it's – the likelihood that all three of them are going to be better than they were last year. Um, you know, they may need to go out and find some help at the trade deadline uh, to uh, to bolster the middle and back of that rotation. And last thing before I let you go, I mean, it's possible. It's been a while, but uh, it's been almost 10 years, but since 08 that uh, the Mets and Phillies have been kind of in it at the same time. And you remember, I think, believe you were covering the Phillies back then. Uh, yeah, you were. I was, you yeah. weren't in Boston yet. Um, there was a general dislike for the Mets in that Philadelphia uh, clubhouse, and uh, started in '06, and and then you had the two collapses, and uh, and then the Mets went on their, uh, their rebuild. The to be, yep. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you could recapture that with this group because it really never happened even with Harper and, and the Nats. But uh, you wonder, uh, you know, could you get some of that that juice uh, back between the two organizations? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think you can. And, I, look, I think baseball is better when uh, teams like the Phillies and Mets, who are, you know, who are, you know, who are ge- ge- geographically close and, and, and rivals in the same division when they're good at the same time. Uh, I think it's it's always more fun when you have both of those teams competing uh, for a division title at the same time. Uh, it hasn't happened a whole lot in their histories that they've both been good. I mean, probably the, you know, like you said, the height of it um, was, you know, at least for me was 07, 08, you know, the, the, uh, the Phillies come back and the Mets collapse in 07 and Jimmy Rollins calling the Phillies the team to beat. And then of course, 08 and things like that. Um, but it, it, it's few and far between the, the amount of times that both teams have been good at the same time. I certainly think that from a Phillies perspective, that the Nationals are going to be the team, especially now that Harper's with the Phillies, that, that people are going to point to and say, well, their biggest rival right now is, is, is the Nationals. And, you know, um, there are so many different storylines involving those two teams, uh, and, uh, and that really ought to be interesting. Uh, but, you know, certainly I think that the potential is there with the Phillies getting quite a bit better than they've been in recent years, and the Mets figure to be better than they've been, uh, that, that those teams could, could be rivals again. I think if these things take time, though. I really do. I, I, I think that um, it takes time for these things to build. It's not, it's not just one series where all of a sudden a rivalry is back. I think it, it takes time to get ingrained a little bit, and there are so many new faces on both teams that I think there's going to, be, have, to, there's going to have to be a little bit of you know, a little bit of bad blood that develops between the teams before that rivalry truly, truly come back. Uh, but, you know, certainly both teams are headed in the right direction for it to happen again. And, and let's hope that, you know, uh, you know, two good baseball cities in the Northeast uh, that, uh, that maybe we're headed back in that direction again. One last thing I will tell you, uh, Gabe Kapler will not be as quotable as Charlie Manuel, that's for sure. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie had some good one-liners, so that's that's one thing you won't get if this does uh, become a, lo- a rivalry. Hey, uh, Scott, uh, you've been generous with your time. Thank you so much. Enjoy your time down in Florida. Let's catch up during the season. Be well, my friend. I'm glad we had a chance to talk again. Okay, thanks, Mike. All right, that's Scott Lauber, Philly.com, Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, Philly Daily News uh, over there in uh, Clearwater, Florida, and gave us the take, the Philadelphia take on the Bryce Harper signing. Let's take a quick break. We'll wrap up. Final thoughts. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Can your fixed income stand the test of time? Markets change, but the role of fixed income shouldn't. That's why for more than 40 years, MFS has stayed true to our traditional approach. We call it essential fixed income. Find out more at mfs.com slash fixed income. Hey, Mets fans, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, 
then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. Metsmerized Online is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, online.com and get Metsmerized today. going to do a wrap up here i want to thank everybody for joining me of course i want to thank scott lauber for joining me here today and uh, spending a little bit of time with us to get the perspective from down in philly of course i want to thank the good folks over at metsmerizedonline.com send me a tweet at mike silva media and you can get the show on itunes soundcloud stitcher pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire if you could leave me a review on itunes it'd be greatly appreciated I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with more Talking Bets podcast next week. Be well till then, everybody.